podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Inside Training, a brand new official Hibs podcast. In this series, we'll speak to key people at HTC to get a unique insight into the training, tactics and technical work done by the staff at Hibernian Football Club. And who better to start with than Jack Ross. Our head coach was kind enough to give us around an hour of his time in his office at HTC. Surrounded by tactics boards and bookshelves full of football literature, on this first episode Jack talks us through his career journey from coaching at Dumbarton to the top job here at the High Bees. He discusses his training methods, key influences and how he plans the week ahead of a game and also how he picks his starting lineup. His man management, recruitment and how he creates the right culture at a club was also on the agenda during an hour-long fascinating chat. As I said, we were in his office, so you'll hear a couple of knocks at the door and possibly some noise from the gym just down the corridor. But I'm really excited for you to hear the gaffer on this pod. Jack, thank you for joining us, researching your career, your decisions. Looking back at previous interviews, it's obvious to see that you've had an incredibly interesting background. Uh, Some things that the Hibernian fans might not know as well. Um, And I'm really interested to know how that shaped you as a manager, as a person, and your time here with us at Hibernian. I mean, you've played in over 300 games as a player. You've now managed over 275 matches. When was the first time that you decided, I want to go into management? I think like um, most professional players, um, I was in a position where I needed to work um, post-playing career. And then career, absolutely coaching and management offers a, a realistic pathway, albeit not an easy one to follow. However, for me, it wasn't necessarily the one that um, that fell into my, or gave me the opportunity to begin with. I was working at, with the PFA, so I was always involved in football, except I was involved in coaching and management. But prior to that, I always, if I was going to be involved, I wanted to manage. I felt as if I had at captain clubs and I felt as if I had those qualities to be a manager. However, I haven't really given much thought to coaching and it sounds a little bit of a daft thing to say now, but even at that point there was probably a distinction between the two. However, there's been an evolution over recent times whereby much more honest on managers to be able to coach as well. And thankfully opportunity presented itself um, quickly when I stopped playing to coach at the Martin as an assistant manager. And um, although I had completed my licences, my BNA licence at that time, I had never actually taken training sessions before. Now that's a bit a little bit embarrassing for me because I would encourage all my players now to do that and to gain experience. So I didn't know whether or not it would be um, it was right for me, whether or not I would enjoy it, whether I'd be any good at it. What I found is I really enjoyed it. Now whether you're any good at it, I think it's for other people to judge. You can gauge from the response you get from players. And, um, and the reaction you get from sessions so it, it was a slow burner for me um, and as I said that idealistic pathway I think of being a manager took a very different journey in that respect to becoming a coach first and one that undoubtedly has helped me massively as a manager if I hadn't had that coaching experience and those coaching opportunities and those coaching experiences I don't think I would have been going to have 
a careers manager and of relative success with enough because I think it, it enabled me to understand a lot of the dynamics of coaching that I think underpins successful managers now so when you were a player did you ever speak to anyone about becoming a manager having a career in coaching or is that something that you were very focused on yourself and you kind of knew how to get there um, I think because of my career pathway as a player you know, I, I was at I had the stereotypical or traditional early career pathway from being affiliated with a professional club as a schoolboy and, and leaving school to go full time and everything at that point is in a smooth upward trajectory and then I got released at the end of my apprenticeship as a full time player and your world comes crashing down and you have to um, find another way I went back to university for four years playing junior football and that experience at that point before I returned to the senior game probably meant that I never really had this release that the game owed me anything I felt as if I had to earn opportunities um, and I think that had quite a profound effect on me that I didn't really look at anybody within the game and think I want to be like you I didn't rely on anybody within the game and when I was getting towards the end of my playing career I, I backed myself to work and doing whatever because you've got to do that to provide that type of course when you're older you have responsibilities like family etc so um, I think that early career experience of being rejected was sore taught me a lot and I think shaped a lot of um, my future behaviours but then what I would say is that probably family influence so my dad started his own business when I was a teenager um, and I watched him build the business from scratch and I was fascinated by how he did that and I was quite nosy as a kid and asked lots of questions and was close to my dad and, and there's no difference you know I've got friends that have done it build businesses it's the same it's leadership qualities it's team building it's creating culture um, so that combination of factors I think led me towards this job rather than anything if you like specifically within football How did you find Dumbarton then because I can imagine um, it's quite daunting leading a training session for the mm. for the first time um, but equally it's it's very different to being in a kind of professional environment um, yeah, different in terms of the full-time side of it. Mm. Um, um, and taught me a huge amount. First of all, I, was, I always acknowledge that um, you need the opportunity to begin with. You also need time to work and fate to work with you. So I went in and worked with a brilliant group of players at Dumbarton, really good people and, and young men who were really engaging with what I did. And that helped me massively because you need that. Um, but hugely challenging in that you know, I do some coach education work now at the SFA and whenever I'm helping people through their licences, it's all still very, you know, this is your number, this is your pitch. Whereas in the bar, I was working on a Tuesday night on quarter of a pitch in an indoor astro tough at Tory Glen, um, half a pitch on the, the second night of the week, um, waiting till the previous group cleared the area for you to go and set up. You know, maybe planning for 16 and then three players get stuck at work and you go 13. And so I had to adapt very quickly. So what I work with now, resource-wise, area-wise, planning, time to set up, numbers, it's easy now compared to what it was like. You know, I had to I had to think very quickly and adapt and be smart and work on how to get the best from the resources I had. And then at that point, I had to work on sessions that were engaging, enjoyable, because I had part-time players that were coming from work. Now, as I evolved as a coach to the education side, it became much more important and I had to teach myself to do that. But at that point, I just had to find ways 
to get my players to engage with me. Um, and, you know, I think we, we did that quite well, but as a learning experience, tough, but absolutely brilliant in terms of the ground that it gave me in coaching. How much do you think that that's helped you nowadays in terms of having to think outside of the box, have to problem solve, have to think quickly on your feet? Um, hugely. So for the, the, the reasons obviously I've just outlined about numbers changing, size of area, um, setting up while your players are waiting on you to begin. Um, and I just think it, it it was a tough school learning coaching, if you like, not in the respect that the players I worked with and the support I was given, just um, everything not being nice and easy. Uh, and on top of that, I was working. You know, I was coming straight from work to, you know, we trained at 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock at the bar. So I was coming, leaving the house in the morning, going to work, coming straight from work to take training and getting home at whatever time. And that, I don't say that to, for people to um, say, oh, wow, look at you, because loads of people work really hard. And um, there was a, a lot of it was a passion for me as well, but it taught me what well, a work ethic. I think I already had it, but it taught me that in order to go and try and progress in football coaching, you know, this was it. This was the starting point for it, and I had to then immerse myself in it. And I, I did all the things that people at that level of the game will do. I took bibs home to wash them, and picked up kit, and you know, encouraged the players to be more professional, and added as much as I could into it. But that's replicated up and down the country at these levels of the game. I just get to tell my story a little bit more because of the job I'm in now. But there's loads of people that do it. Um, but what I would say is that you've got an ambition unless you're fortunate enough to get an opportunity at the highest level you're going to have to do it but if you really love it and you're good at it then that that's the job you should be starting the journey for you and I can imagine nowadays knowing the roles that kind of you had to do to get into coaching the support staff you have here at Hibernian now you must appreciate their roles even more so because you had to do that it was on a albeit on a smaller scale, but but equally, you know how important every little cog is to this team. Yeah, I th- so I think from my, to begin with, I think as a manager, appreciating um, the role of coaches within your setup and the importance of it, maybe to, to, to illustrate it better, as people often ask me, what did you prefer, being a player or, as a, man- or a manager? Mm-hmm. Well, neither. Coach is the best one. Being a coach is the best one because you get all the good parts and you get that closeness of relationship with players and it's just a bit of a weird role to have at a club but I understand the importance of it so you have to empower then your coaching staff so I would like to think if you speak to to John if you speak to Craig if you speak to Dave now they'll feel empowered they they can take responsibility they can engage with players they can lead with them um, because I, I make them feel confident enough to do it and then on a broader scale is it's encouraged me to find out as much as I can about other people's job at the club so the communication happened with Nathan and his team and Colin Clancy and Ewan and analysis side and Pedro the kit side it's about understanding their job and appreciating it obviously but understanding the importance of each of these jobs within the manager being viewed as being successful and the team going to win games Yeah and even down to um, the academy as well because that was your kind of next step in your coaching career under 20 coach um, at Hearts I think you went on record didn't you and said that was one of the biggest decisions that, that you had to make whether you actually made that step into full time coaching yeah I'm, I'm, um, I don't know if you were going to mention the club there when you were <laughs> but um, yeah it was a 
the reason being was at that point I was I was working in PFA and I was doing more like the FIFA Pro, the World Players Union. I was uh, Tony Higgins, who was president of the PFA in Scotland, Fraser Bishop, Chief Executive, were really supportive of me. And um, Tony got me more involved with FIFA Pro. I travelled to the Netherlands quite a lot. I'd been uh, um, presenting the conferences in, in Ljubljana and Budapest, and I, and I was really enjoying it. And I, I had probably the opportunity to go and do an exec education programme, which is equivalent to like a postgrad and kind of football administration and I believed that that was a route that was a good future career for me um, and then the opportunity to go and work again in the full-time environment came up and I spoke to um, the aforementioned Tony Higgins and so Tony had played with Hibs and had a good playing career and I um, asked him and he had the chance early in his time post-retirement about being a manager at a lower league club and he was doing work at PFA and um, I think he tells a story to me. I think it was Alex Ferguson that said. I think it was Alex Ferguson said to him, "You know, do you love football, or are you in love with football?" Now they sound the same thing, but Tony's a smart guy, and he said it to me, and I understood it. So I had to think that, and you know, my answer was, "I'm in love with it. I don't just love it. I'm in love with it. It's been my life since I was five, and that probably made me take that that leap of faith, if you like, to go that way." I often still think, you know, what would have happened if I didn't? Um, and it threw me in a completely different environment. And what it did was, going back to the point I made a few questions ago about how I, how I coached, I had to then learn to educate while I coached. It wasn't just about tempo and enjoyment. I had to still retain that, but I had to educate. I was working with full-time players. I, I was working with players that wanted information, that wanted guidance, that wanted advice. And my responsibility was to, was to give them that. So it... it I backed myself as a coach at that point. I then realised that wow, I still had a lot to learn, and hopefully over that period, I did that as well. And you've had a, a really good time here in terms of developing young players. Thinking back, is that kind of where that almost love has come from? The fact that you've kind of been in an academy setup, you've worked with young, inspiring footballers, you knew how to get the best from them, or is that too easy to make that link? Um. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it'd be easy for me to say, yeah, that, that's the case. I, I never really think about it too much. I just think that um, I enjoy young players. I think they give you an energy about your job. But, you know, they bring that natural enthusiasm that youth does. I think it's usually satisfying if you can, sometimes selfishly, if you can see your input bear fruit, if you like, the young player and the progression that they're going to make in their career. Um but I feel the same, I must admit, I feel the same responsibility to all my players. So I don't think I take a different approach to younger players. I just think um, I've always been more than willing to give them opportunities if they're good enough, if I believe they're good enough. Um, and that's the key aspect of it is, you know, I still have to have an opinion on whether I think they're good enough to make that step. But if they are, I don't really focus too much on their age. And as I said, I've enjoyed watching, um, you know, the the upward trajectory, if you like, of some of these players, and I still keep in touch with them. So I speak to Lewis Morgan in Miami, and um, I still text Josh Madger at, at Bordeaux, and these players that I've, I feel as if I've helped in some way. There'll be loads of other people that have helped them, but if, if I've had an impact upon their career that's enabled them to go and achieve good things, both in terms of their career and financially, etc., etc., then great. Just finally touching on kind of managerial career, because we've only just got into it, but obviously. Alloa, St Mirren, Sunderland and, and now here with us at, at Hibernian. Alloa, it could have been really easy for you to say, you know what, managers or management 
isn't for me. Obviously, mm. relegation in your first year, you went into it in what was a very difficult job anyway. But just how has that shaped your kind of belief, your playing style, everything that you wanted to achieve as a manager by bouncing back from, from that disappointment and setting a, a club record of, of 10, win, uh, 10 games at winning streak, obviously. Um, we, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that, that, that experience shaped a lot of probably my future career. A couple of reasons. One, I remember trying to, to do the press conference for the job and, and phone my wife and said, I don't I can do this. I, I, I was probably in a place where I thought, I'm not sure if it was right for me. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if it'd be good enough. I think people have those wobbles all the time in life, but I'd openly admit it. Decided to, 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 to keep, you know, probably she convinced me. Um, I had a brilliant chairman, Aloha and Mike Mulvaney, who I was, again, fate, sliding doors, moments. I, you know, my first manager job to have a chairman in support of his hand, brilliant club, great people around it. And I was lucky that way. Um, and then, so you mentioned the relegation, so we were in the championship, we only had four or five points, I took the job. But what I seen over that second half of the season from December onwards was we improved. Individual players improved, we improved as a team, we collected more points. We finished the season, I think, six unbeaten, including games against Hibs and against Rangers. And, and so at that point, more than the result, because we still got relegated, was just, I thought, this, I'm, I'm okay at this, I'm making them better. And that, you need that, you need something tangible at times as a manager to make you go, okay, this is. I might look at this and I'll keep going. And um, and yeah, the second season was was a brilliant experience because I got to build my own squad. Um, terrific group we put together, had a brilliant start to the season um, and it gave me a, a, a platform for management that I'll be forever grateful for. But um, I, 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 wouldn't, I would never be dismissive of the luck I got involved in terms of the people at that club that, that had faith in me, if you like, and supported me through, as you said, that, that initial relegation. Yeah, and then from that point, um, your managerial career um, excelled, really, over 50% win record at, at every club you've you've been at. What I'm really interested to, to know is how those experiences have all, or have helped you create a training methods, training plans. And I, I know you've gone on record and said that what you want to do is create a very structured and very organised environment. Where's that come from? Own personality, to begin with. Um, I think that you have to acknowledge that you are your own approach to coaching management. You will learn and you will adapt and you will evolve, but there's going to be aspects of it that are born out of your own character. So I'm, I'm OCD with a lot of things. I'm, I like tidiness, I like organisation, um, I like structure, just the way I am. Um, and I've carried that into the professional aspect of my career. Um, and then that continual probably evolutionary in how you coach and manage how you deliver a structure within your organisation. Um, and it, and it, so one was probably the time where I learned to build that most because Alaba again was part-time. But you mean, you speak about managing records and I lost my first six league games at Simone. So again, it's, it's people only ever see you think their career goes like that but in truth it, it goes around and dips and goes up and it, it's seen your way through those periods um, that help. But it it, it all those experiences led me to, you know, from a playing side, from a tactical side, of four kind of main cornerstones that we worked at. Um, you may go into that later and work within that. And then the behavioural aspects of it, learning the communication and organisation, irrespective of the size of the club and the calibre of the player you're managing and the experience of the player, 
matter so much. People think, oh, you go and manage you know, Champions League players at Sunderland, Premiership players. If you communicate to them and you're organised, you've got a good buy-in to start with. It doesn't change from the Martin players to Sunderland players to Hibs players, international players here. You communicate, you're organised, and it's a, it's a brilliant starting block to work from. How does that then affect your plans for, for training here at HTC? Because obviously the this season was completely different um, in terms of the European football. Um, your first taste of it as well, something new, something you have to adapt to. How did you take that into your stride whilst keeping organisationally strong? Yeah, so I think the, the, the fundamental principles you have, so how far in advance we let the players know the monthly schedules, um, the weekly schedule, the daily work we're doing goes up in the television, etc. All these things that we continually do. And then I think about what the week might look myself for European football. So specifically, how do we adapt from Thursday to Sunday or travelling, etc. Being involved in the logistics of that, when we travelled, how often we, when we stayed, when we travelled back. And then I think you have to be um, open-minded enough to take opinion from those that have done it. So I sought opinion from people in the game who've experienced it, who've worked, not necessarily as managers, but have been involved in the coaching team of, of teams that have played Thursday, Sunday, um, and asked their opinion. Not to tell me what to do, but to give me more information and knowledge about what I, decide, what I would decide. So I'll, I think as a manager, I've got to decide. Um, because I live and buy by all my decisions. I live by all my decisions in terms of the success of the job. So I think I just tried to build up as much information as I could, while also having enough confidence in myself to say, right, I think that's the way we should do it. And I would say we'd be fruitful, but I loved it. Like I loved the whole experience of it. I was so so disappointed with the, by losing the game we did because I, I genuinely believe we would win it and felt even on the night we'd win it. But the actual experience of involved in European football and everything that went, went with it, loved it. And just made me want to have it again for the club because it was just it, it's different it felt different everything around it was, was enjoyable um, challenging but enjoyable Talking about those kind of uh, people that you asked who, who have been your key influences then in terms of who you've learnt from um, who you've read about uh, we're sat obviously in your office there's, there's loads of books mm-hmm. um, under under the TV how much learning do you take from other people? Um yeah, I mean, I, I'm interested in, in other people, not just in football. I'm fascinated with people that um, have, have I love to say success, have just have had interesting careers or lives and journeys and have stories to tell. And you know, case in point is, is our owner. You know, so when I speak to Ron, it's, he wants to ask me loads about football and I want to ask him loads about his, his life because it's quite interesting and different. But yeah, I'm fascinated by it, and, and I think that you can various ways of doing that. It can be people you come across, it can be um, people you come across professionally, it's those you read about in your own um, world, if you like, sport or football. And then um, I spoke about my dad and the influence that he had in me. I've got a couple of good friends that have got their own businesses that I'm interested in, they've built their businesses, etc. And then football-wise, I've spoken about this previously, when I was manager at Alaba, we drew Celtic in the Cup, and... Brendan, Brendan Rodgers was in charge at the time and came and gave me an open invite to go to Lennox Town and we then played him with some months soon afterwards and I took him up in it and went to visit him a couple of times and he was good enough to snow and allow me to watch training but spent quite a bit of time with me after and I think he's brilliant at what he does um, there was a lot of things that I took affirmation from if you like it was probably in a similar 
thought about things in a similar way in terms of how to build teams and listen, they'll be, they'll be much more successful than me but in terms of how we've seen um, how we manage behaviours and how we get the best from people etc um, so that was a big influence for me our, our, you know people like Derek McInnes who when I was a young manager at Aloha and Simone made a lot of time for me spoke to me a lot um, did the same when I got sacked at Sunderland you had the same experience at Bristol City to, um, from St Johnson people that have walked in, in your shoes help um, and then in more general terms I'll I, I, um, envy the, the, the coaches involved in, in this I'll I, I watch you know, I'll go and watch um, I think I've told this story to, to another um, interview at one point was when, when the first lockdown was in place and we started to emerge from it my eldest daughter was actually able to start a grassroots training before I had returned to pre-season here but at that time it was still socially distanced training that was a new thing for everybody it was two metre distance to the train and um, I went to watch her train and the coach was delivering a passenger and he was doing it that was socially distanced and I watched it and um, when I came in here and started in pre-season I, I used it adapted it a little bit you know because my daughter she was what, 11 at the time so I was a little girl and then professionals here but it was, I watched it and I thought it's good it works and I, I do the same now I'll troll YouTube and, and spend a bit of time and I'll pinch things and I laugh at the players now because I've got a big bank of sessions that we use and sometimes we'll do something we've not done before and the players will give you feedback and if you like it and I can't remember now if, if I've stole it from somebody else <laughs> or whether I've made it up myself so and I, there are some I have made up myself but um, I think what I do all disguise myself as an ideas thief and I, I think it's, a, it's not a bad way to be you know I think it just proves that you've kind of got this you're open-minded enough to, to look at what other people are doing and acknowledge that there's a lot of smart people out there. So, um, yeah, pretty broad-minded in that respect and curious about um, sports coaching in general. And I'm right in saying um, in the books uh, on your shelf, they're all uh, the pages are all um, turned, aren't they, for the, the elements that you want to use? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit of a skim reader. So I, um, I've always been like that. You know, back to my school days, I, I've... I've never been. I've always liked language, and I've always found language quite easy to take in. So I skim read. It's not necessarily a brilliant way to read. I would recommend it, but I skim read and um, I take out little bits. And um, so during lockdown, I read Eddie Jones' book, which I think is brilliant, and his podcasts are great and quite interesting. Him and just do do that. I would just fold down pages that had um, either a quote in it or a paragraph in it that I thought was relevant to my either own job or what I was going through or what I might go through in the future, and then. Periodically, I'll go back through it, and um, it's amazing how. And again, it's a bit like the point I was making about sessions. You forget over a period of time that it was somebody else probably that said it because it, you think, well, maybe I came up with that. But it's, again, it's just improving your, your, your hopefully your skill set. Yeah. Talk us how you map out um, a session then, um, from your perspective. Is it through parts? Is it a kind of combined effort through through everyone? How does that work? And what are the key things that, that you want to kind of get out of a, a week building up to this game? Yeah, so in terms of the, I mean, the design of the session, I still take that. I still take, sorry, probably oh, 90, 95% responsibility for that. And it's not it's not out of um, not trusting my staff to do it. It's because I love it so much. My favourite part of the job. Um, and, and, you know, I work to four main pillars, if you like, um, really broad how we switch how we count how we press how we defend 
and then we team training sessions on that basis coupled with sometimes a general session sometimes a conditioning session etc um, so sometimes your whole week will be tactical depending on the opposition depending on the game sometimes there's elements of how you want to play so if you play against a team that we want to we think we're going to do a little counter-attacking in, then the early part of the week we'll do counter-attack-themed sessions. And then as we get towards the second half of the week, it becomes more specific to the system and bits of the system still with the counter-theme. Um, so the theme of the session is the starting point. Um, the physical output you want from the session. Um, and that's born out again about um, experience and knowledge that comes from delivering over a period of years and working with your sports science team and your performance team to know what you will get from that type of session and I think I've got a good feel for that now but I can confirm it with Colin if I want to you know if I'm unsure I'll say what did I expect from this and I'll reaffirm that post training what did we get physically not just total distance obviously high intensity sprints excels decels all the things that are important to us and what we want from that day um, and then how we build the actual session um so they've got a bank of five or six hundred now that I can pick from. Sometimes we'll make up new ones that'll drop in. Build the sessions from that. Um, always set out to staff the day before so they know the breakdown. Discuss it with the staff in the morning. Always go out with my staff to set up. And then um, when I deliver on pitch, I never take any notes out. So there's a large element of this was all rehearsal for me. So there's a lot of mental rehearsal involved in how I coach. So the vision of how I see the pitches out there. So those pictures are in my head before we're going to set up. So the flow of the session, what area moves from to the next area, how that is there. And then what I'm delivering is there. And, and it's my own just more approach. You know, there's people who need notes, people who want notes. Um, I, it's just my way of working. Um, but the visualising, I put a visual person. You probably see from in here, there's a lot of whiteboards. And I like to see things so I, see them in my own head, put them out and, and deliver them on pitch. So that's going from the theme of the session to the planning of it, to the tactical element, to then how we actually, the flow is important for me on the grass, really important, um, how it moves. Where players move to how it just feels non-disrupted at any point, it just goes in it, and they can see the session building up from there as well. You mentioned those four cornerstones. Are they your four key principles in terms of style of play? Do you have you ever had a specific style of play that you've taken from one club to the next and, and tried to implement, or is it looking at the players and and the the players that you have in the building um, at, and seeing right? This is how I will create a style around these four principles, or do you take one specific idea and try and implement it everywhere? Yeah, like, I think it's a good question and you'll get lots of different answers from people that do my job and you'll get lots of different opinion on people that, that love football and what the right, what, you know, the right answer is, what the answer should be to that question. And then um, I think like probably a lot of young managers and coaches when I first started doing it, I think I probably wanted to have a system and a style. That, that, that's me. That's what people associate with me. And so when I went from Alola um, to Simon, I played in a certain way and a certain style and then um, I tried to replicate it as a mum and I mentioned about losing the first of the game. I didn't have the players that could play in the same way. So I had to figure that out quite quickly and then find another way to get through to I was able to recruit more players that, that suited that better. 
but it was a good learning experience for me because what it, it reminded me of is again it's about how principled are you and how flexible are you um, and again you can be at either end of the extreme or you can be somewhere in the middle you can be more or less principled or less flexible and I'm probably I'm really principled in my structure and those four core principles but what I think those four core principles allow me to do is have a great deal of flexibility within the choices system um, and you mentioned an important point there about I think if you're able to recruit a squad with two players in every position minimum who all have exactly the same attributes in each position I think you can say there's my style there's my system go but if you've got one right winger that's lightning quick but your other right winger is more of a drop in the pockets and receive the ball if your lightning quick one's injured you, you, how you play the game differs um, you know if you've got strikers that, that are running behind then I think you'll work on drawing the opposition off and aren't even playing behind if you've got strikers that are good, at, good in the air you'll work on getting the ball away there he's crossing it so for me there's a there's a probably a, a happy medium I've got the four, I've got these, these four pillars I've got I've got you know we work on a quite an old fashioned way um, making the pitch as big as we can in, in possession and as small as we can out of possession and that's, a, I think, a brilliant core principle to have. And you can deliver that within training sessions, you can take it on the pitch, but it can encompass loads of different systems. Um, so again, that, that I came away from believing that I had to be absolutely principled in my approach. Not to say I'm right, but that's kind of that's led me to, you know, 275 games later, but, but still doing my job. How much did that system at, at Alloa, how much has that changed now here at Hibernian? Um... Well, I think what, what I did here that I had tried a little bit of Sunderland at the beginning of my second season without really nailing it was I wanted that I, I kind of when I came here I was or prior to coming here sorry I was really interested in, in being able to go between a back three and a back four mm-hmm. either in game or to start games and I just thought it gave real flexibility and it opens up so many different options further up the pitch and over a period of time, you have a personnel that either were able to do it or we've recruited to be able to do it. And we've worked quite hard at it. And I think we've hopefully had real success in that regard that the players are comfortable in doing it in game or whether we start game. And um, that was something that, that, that at that point I hadn't thought about. Didn't really know how to coach it. Um, didn't understand the, the complexities of each system and the changes within it and the changes of rules further up the pitch. So I think that's an Hopefully that's improved. You know, I think my hopefully knowledge of the game's improved over, through experience, through reading, through watching more people, through listening to more what other people say and more observations. But that that's a significant one, I think, in terms of um, a change in approach. How important is that then to you that 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 style of play isn't only in the first team; it, it drips through the club to be a Hibernian style mm. of play. So the, for example, the likes of. Josh Doig have pro- progressed in, but thinking more closely, like Jack Bryden, for example, who's mm. been part of the, the match day squad at, at times this year that um, that our development squad players know when they make the step up, this is how we play, this is how we'll do it. Um, again, it's a good question, and um, there's a lot of different opinions. For me, I spent a bit of time um, Valencia a few years ago watching them train and spent a few days there and it was interesting the head of the academy said to me that the, the mantra I feel like was to produce players to play professionally in Spain it wasn't to produce 
players to play for Valencia. I thought it was quite interesting, and, and I asked him what, what I, and he said, well, we've had, like at that point, there's something like five head coaches in six years or something, and one played the back three, one played the back four, one played one strike, one played two strikers. So I understood it, and I, and I kind of get it, and I probably now got that opinion on it, but I think U18's below, I think it's about just trying to improve them as players individually, make them technically better, be able to deal with the challenges of just playing football. And I, but then once they get to under 18s and then development squad, I think that's when your influence from a first team point of view needs to be there. So, take a really probably clear example of it. Um, you know, if, you, if you're first team level, you press the show outside all the time, then what you don't want is a development squad pressing the show inside. So, irrespective of the system, yeah, you need to have that core principle. So, because what you don't want is a development player coming up and working with your first team level who presses the other way in which you teach your first team level. So that's just a one out of possession that that um, can needs to be clear, if you like. And there's others. There was always loads of others in and out of possession that would come in there. But I think that under the teams above, I think you need to start get players to to. to be aware of what you would want at first team level. Below that, I think that's for the academy director and people within the club because otherwise I think it's dangerous and you start to then, um, yeah, I think the influence at that point should be less. And in terms of gearing up ready for match day, obviously we've seen this this year and, and last year as well, the change between the three and the four. Mm. Um, what do you think about when you're picking a team I mean team selection is incredibly contentious among football fans mm. um, and, and it always will be um, when you're preparing for a game um, against the top side in the in the Central Premiership or a side that's struggling at the bottom of the Central Premiership what what do you think about is it tactics uh, style um, what you're going to face personnel what, what are the main elements or is it kind of a combination of both or all of them Probably quite an easy way to explain this. Um, so for me, split it down the middle, prepare for threat and exploit weakness. So they're my two starting points, if you like. Now, the prepare for threat column, if you like, can have one thing in it. See, you think the opposition may only have you one way, and the exploit weakness may have five in it because you think there's, you know, there's, and that's it. Can vary in that you know that can depend on the caliber of the opposition and the individual threats and how they play, etc. It can change, but that's the starting point. So, how do we prepare for threat? Now, again, not everybody acknowledges that, some think, Oh, we're really good at what we do, but we acknowledge, right? Okay, what we might have to do with possession or what we might be prepared for, but then exploit weakness and then how do we, how can we create, how can we score? And I think we've been good at that. Um, then that fits alongside your system and how you've been playing and your personnel how they've been playing well so that doesn't dictate your choices mm-hmm. it influences your preparation for the game tactically and the specifics of it so the specifics don't need to be a change in system they can be the instruction within the system and the patterns you work on um, and, and again how you defend because you might defend more long balls you might defend more cross balls etc so that that helps me then clarify what I want from the game um, and in terms of individual player selections I mean that's part of the job that is a bit that um, 
I was going to say it's a hardest. I don't. I don't mind it because it's it's just it's just part of the job. It's okay. It's um, you know problem solving decision maker. That's what I'm. Who makes decisions that cause me problems? So every week I've got to solve the problem in picking a team. To do that, I've got to make decisions. Every time I make a decision, I get I've got players that are unhappy. That causes me a problem. They come, I speak to them, and then it holds goes around again. And of course, every decision I make in team selection is is analysed with the benefit of hindsight. Which is okay, but that, I'd love to do that. <laughs> no, with hindsight, what could have played that team or could have been that subs, and, and that just goes with the territory of the job. But um, those are the, those are the kind of that that starting point for me, coupled with what you do on a weekly and consistent basis, gets you to the point where you pick a team that you believe that's the right one, and that's one of the key points. You've got to like got to trust your decision making. You know, that's the bit, and the, the bit that separates you from the coach. Or other people at the club is you are the one that has to make that those um, key decisions but if you don't want the responsibility to do it then, then, then don't do the job like it's one I'm comfortable with Is that something that has developed over time as well because I can imagine again going kind of back to Alara um, when you're kind of first making those decisions I can imagine you're kind of second guessing yourself sometimes whereas after uh, years of experience over five years of experience now you, you're thinking no, I did make the right decision. I have made the right decision. Yeah, but well, I'll get some. I'll still get some wrong, you yeah. know, and, and um, I'll continue to do that. You know, it's human nature. Yeah, you, and you know, I reflect every single day in what I do, um, whether it's training or a match day, and you reflect on your choices. Um, I don't know if it becomes easier. I think that I've always been okay with that. I, I'm quite. A, I think a lot anyway. So the process of getting there is an easy one for me because I, you know, I will. I not only think about the permutations, but I also think about the player that you know, I mentioned my dad earlier, the one thing he, he says my biggest fault is I've got a conscience as a football manager and he said that's a problem because I, I care about my player. So when I leave a player out and he's on the bench or he's not stripped or he's dropped or whatever, I, I genuinely bother about how we feel. Now, I know I've got to make the decision, but I, so that's still not a brilliant feeling to have. But then beyond that, I'm comfortable with decision making because I invite so much communication with my players. So one, I'll explain a lot to them. But two, and I would like to think that we'll back this up, is they can walk through the door of this office at any point and be critical of my choice. I don't mind that. I don't mind. I may not agree with that. That's there's two different things. I don't get precious about it. I, I, a player can come in and say, well, I don't agree that you left me. I don't agree you took me off. I don't agree with this. It's okay. It's it's okay to say that and I'll let make my reasons and ultimately we, we might never get to a point where we agree but I think once you've had that conversation my experience a player always walks out the door might still not like you but I think he respects the fact that you've allowed him to speak and give his opinion because that's something that traditionally over time in football wasn't great you know I think you feel as if you had to keep this opinion yourself and um, so that again probably helps the decision making but you're okay with it, you know. You make your decisions, and you know that I'm more than happy to explain them individually. Players are, you know, comfortable with that. That's actually really interesting because one of the things I think that uh, changed a lot nowadays is the actual emotional intelligence that a manager needs mm-hmm. in terms of making sure the players are okay. Having a conscience is is probably a good thing now. That to be fair, managers what 20, 30 years ago may not have had so much of. Yeah, so the first point is right. I think that there's a much more awareness and much more 
discussion around EQ um, became a new thing and then all of a sudden people became aware of it. The one thing I would say is that people point often towards managers years gone by. I'm not sure necessarily they didn't have it. I think tough success, they probably did. It just generationally were different. People probably behaved differently and so there was bits we compared and we go, wow, that's, that wouldn't happen now. Yeah, maybe not, but at that time it was right and it was still the way you get the best of people. Um, and on that, there's a lot There's a lot now um, spoken about soft skills. You know, so again, go back to the coach education side of it. Quite often in the course, you know, we deliver to the students, you need to develop your soft skills. And it's quite interesting because um, I think you can improve your soft skills. I think you can have an awareness about what are they, you know, how do I make them better, whether that's communicate, whether that's empathy, whatever it is. But in truth, there's a bit of, I think, that's exactly who you are. Again, going back to your own characteristics, particularly in football. So like every manager that goes in there will say, yeah, I'm going to, um, I'm going to have these soft skills, I'm going to do this or this, I'm going to do that. So when you beat 5-0, or you've lost five games in a row, you're still going to do it. Because that's that's the acid test. Um, and, that, and that's the thing that's key. So if you're going to have these soft skills, you're going to have this communication, you're going to have this consistency of behaviour, can you do it? when it's tough because it does get tough in management um, and that's what you don't know until you're in it and that's the thing I would say is important I, I certainly do a lot of what I'm based on is my consistency of communication my consistency of behaviour I use a kind of mantra that every day I walk in here I can't have a day off and I don't have an off day so I can't decide to come in here and just stay in this office and let other people do the work no it's my job my responsibility to do it and if I'm tired or I'm in a bad mood I can't let people see that um, that's not about being soft, that's about being the person that creates the culture within the building um, and, and being aware enough that you're the person that does that. How did you develop that culture? Um, part of that, I think, was in me to begin with. Um, doing okay in management helps because it gives you courage and convictions. I also started to work when I was at Simon, I worked with a gentleman called Gavin White, who, um, who his um, day job, if you like, is involved in like, um, behavioural corporate work and helping businesses and um, senior management of companies, etc., be successful. But what he did with the work he did with me, and I still uh, um, flippantly refer to him as a guru, but he just helped me understand my own thought process and decision making. And he, big influence in me in that regard, um, just helped me so much um, develop that consistency of behaviour and be comfortable with it. And acknowledge the importance of it, and hopefully some of the things he's taught me are then passed down in my players. Hopefully, that helps them get them through tough periods or low confidence or poor game or whatever it may be. So, um, yeah, he, he he probably helped me a lot in that regard, and then a bit about my own, a probably ideal football club what it looked like you know standards and tidiness and habits and culture and demands and all these things that, that people throw out there but you've got to live it every single day when you come to um, a new club uh, like, like obviously you've done um, and you haven't always had the easy situation obviously St Mirren um, you had to try and keep them in the league mm. um, Sunderland again a really difficult situation 
um, and then coming here, how how do you change a culture of a football club? How easy is it to change a culture of a football club to what you want it to be? Yeah, I mean, you're right. First of all, point out when I reflect back on management, you took Alloa job from the bottom league, Simon job from the bottom league, Sunderland have just been relegated twice. I think we were a point off the bottom. So I've never been given a job where everything's going great. But that's kind of the norm in most cases. Um, and I'm probably going to repeat myself because if there was a blueprint for, for doing it, I would offer it up. But the reality is I found myself in different situations at different times, at different clubs with different resources. And I've had to figure out the best way to do it. So to quantify it a bit, Simone, um made a lot of changes in the first transfer window was long after I took, took over the job and then um, we did something that I've replicated the club since and we do it now at Hibs where we set six game targets but we do it as players and staff all the staff and we set we set a six game target points goal score goals against clean sheets etc and that little blocks help us set you know real clear targets so that at that point it's the one we shifted the culture of one that was we were bottom league we were facing relegation in the face to clear goals all the time and then when I went to Sunderland, in my head, prior to the players coming back, I thought, okay, we'll do the same type of thing, we'll come in, we'll meet, this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to be successful. Bournemouth had like 13 senior players, first day of pre-season, the club was going through this big transition, loads of players didn't turn up, etc. So I thought, how can I do that? You know, because my squad at the start of the season is going to be markedly different to the squad now. Um, so I had to... But at that point, I said, right, I'm just going to deliver one pitch. I'm going to earn, hopefully, the respect and the trust of players with how we deliver training sessions, how we structure training sessions. I think we did that. We've got some, some high-profile players, I think, to come along with us in that regard. Um, and then when I came here, um, the, the priority for me when I first came here was, was I had to get points. So it's all very well and good in coming in and say, oh, I wanted to come in and say, oh, this is my way of working, this is the culture I want to create. Follow me, I'm great to do this. We're a point off the bottom league in the Scottish Premiership, it's not brilliant for Hibs. And then, um, you know, that season got curtailed. It was a big club out of the league. Um, so we had to get away from that, and we did it. I, I didn't necessarily I didn't enjoy it, that's, that's not the right phrase. Hmm. It was a sticking plaster. I was just saying, I need to just get points, get us out of this, and then we'll go from there. So when COVID came, in a, in a strange way, it was really good for me because it, it was an extended period away from the club. When I came back, that initial pre-season leading up to the closed-door season, I felt in a really good place and I felt as if, right, this is a time where I can, with an eight-week pre-season, this is where we can really set clear parameters in terms of what we want to do, what we want to achieve, and that's where we had to meet that the players will speak about. We said we want to finish third and we want to win a cup. And those were drivers for us the whole season and, you know, we didn't get them because we, we didn't win the cup, which hurt me a lot and still hurts me a lot, but drives me on to do it. But we, um, so the timing can influence how how you um, how you behave when you first get a job. But equally, that year was the club's best league finish in, in sixteen years. When you have a high like that, even though you've got the the disappointment of the of the cup final that that still hurts you when you come into a new season. What then do you have to do to to motivate the players to to go again to achieve the, a similar goal or, or to compete in a in a high level? 
Well, it's a brilliant question because it's one that I ask myself during the summer. Because um, going back to how we got to the point of wanting to finish third and win a cup. Now, in Scotland, it's you know you say, well, why would you want to win the league? Now that's a that's a so a bit of long term ambition. Of course, it's. But they meet with the players, and I said, right, if I'm sitting here with you and saying, win the league, you know, you're going to buy it there. I'm sure there's that play to buy it. So what we asked them, what does the team look like that wins the league? And they come up with all these different um, qualities that are now in the corridors outside the changing room. And we said, okay, if you get them, what do you think you can do? So we can have that success of season, we can finish that, we can qualify for Europe, we can win a cup. So this season, when I speak to the players, when we come in early, what, what, what am I going to say to them? That I don't want to say just do the same again, lads. You know, that was good. So I spoke to them about it and I said, you remember last season, a lot of them still here with me. Yeah, we agreed, we had the buy-in, it's all now in the corridors. And I said, I thought long and hard about how we do it. And I, and we just put up two words and it'd just be better. So staff are in as well. So if each and every one, as me included, can be better than we were last season, 1%, 2%, 5 5%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%
but I spoke to him and there was a couple of questions I wanted to ask him about where he saw his career and how he'd been playing and where he'd seen himself for Hibs, etc. And I really liked him for the first, not just as a person, as a person, yeah, how he engaged with me, but professionally the things he said and where he was at. And it wasn't me prompting him, he was offering them up. Mm. So I put quite a lot of stock in that. Chris Miller will be another one. So when I, I first, you know, I had to pitch to Chris to come here because he had other options, but I also liked him. And I don't mean that just that I want to be his pal. He's never going to be my pal. He's going to be on yeah. But I liked him. I thought, he, he's got something about him that will make him right here. And that, that that's important, I think. The feel I get for a player. And I always say to them and have those conversations, you've got to get a feel for me. Because nothing wrong as you can leave this conversation and think, I'm not going to enjoy working for him. Because if you, if you get that feel, don't do it. Because it's never, it's never going to be successful. Is that just a case of you kind of trusting your instinct on that? Yeah, and, and that and that instinct is born out of um, again speaking about greatest man ever, Sir Alex Ferguson. I think in his, his in one of his books, he talks about his gut, and he just thought it was a gut. But then I think when he wrote the book on Super from Harvard, they said no, that's actually born out of your knowledge and experience, and so you just think it's your gut, but it is. But it's also um, everything you've learned along the way. So I think for me now, nowhere near at his level. But you have a gut instinct that is born out of your your experiences as a manager and as a coach that leads you towards thinking that player will work with me and hopefully be successful. And I, I think over recent times we've, we've had a pretty decent success rate in that regard by thinking that we're not only getting good players but people that will fit with the culture around this place. I mean, I think if anybody was to come in, I kind of pride myself on if you come in out of changing room, how, how good players are. And I also watch your players I'm a big observer and I watch them eat lunch together and eat meals together and I could never predict who would be sitting beside each other which I think is remarkable so I could walk in that room at any point and if you said to me who will be sat next to each other I would get it wrong probably every time because they mix so well older younger ones more experienced higher level players whatever it is whatever you know different positions are just um, yeah a really good group I'm very conscious that we're keeping you for um, a long time but in terms of um, the management jigsaw, um, there's so many elements of being a manager um, in terms of, or more than just the actual match day or just training or, or just team selection. How long do you think it took to understand the management jigsaw? Or do you think that's something that no one will ever fully understand because of the way it evolves and different sections always come in? Um. I think there's little pieces that can fall out and you have to find the bits that fit again. Uh, I think if you, depends on your approach to building the jigsaw, if, you, if, you're a, if you're a person that starts at the corners and does the outside, um, then, you're, then that's probably what it's like. So you can get your, you know, the aspects are never going to go away. So managing players is never going to go away. Yeah. You know, doing press conferences is never going to go away. Um, the boardroom is never going to go away managing up. So, there's those ones, the, the bits in the middle, like for example, I don't know, um, emergency social media and its influence on players and how they interact with it and the problems that it can cause you, relatively new. I don't know what five years' time will be like. That's probably in the middle somewhere. So those little bits will change. I think the, the bits around the outside stay. I think you become aware of them and through a period of time you become better at keeping them in place because you, you're used to it. And you become comfortable and you 
being comfortable with your own skin is a big thing in any walk of life, and that's something I've probably got to, or I've been for a while now in management, I'm quite comfortable in my own skin with the job, I'll make mistakes, I'll get things wrong, um, people will have an opinion on whether I'm good or bad, but I'm comfortable with how I do the job, I know how hard the work is, I know how much it means to me, I know how driven I am to be successful, I know how much I want to make this club successful, um, and having the, the, I would say, pieces of the jigsaw in place that enable you to do that. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Um, I, I think if I'm speaking specifically to this job, because obviously it's conversations about, um, I, back to Gavin White that I mentioned earlier on, he said to me, that I, was, I was chatting one day about, it was another manager, I think, high profile manager, and maybe his change in success or how he was perceived. And he, he told me that great leaders serve their people. And it's, um, I hadn't really thought about it before, hadn't heard it before. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, look, every, all great politicians, kings, queens, war generals, football managers, sports coaches, um, head teachers, keep me whatever it is. He said, the best ones understand that they're, they're to serve their people. He said, People make the mistake of believing that they become a leader of the people that serve them. And I thought it was quite clever because um, I understood it. And it's brilliant because I, I think I did it anyway. But what it did was it made me really like clearly think about that. So my job now is I'm here to serve my players and staff, not here to serve me, not here to make me look good. I'm here to make them better. And that's my job every single day is to come in at work. Can I make Ryan Portis better? Can I make Kevin this bit better? Can I make Paul McGinn better? Can I make my kit man feel like he's the best here or is he the best? Can we can I get him better kit? Can I get him new washing machines? Can I, whatever it is. And um, it it was a it was specific to this job. I've had loads of advice over the years from different people that, that you know influence you at different times. But in terms of specific to being a manager, I thought it was a brilliant whether it was advice or whether it was just um educating me. It's something that stuck with me, and I think it's. Um, if I was passing on to somebody, or somebody used to ask me what piece of advice, I think that's a, to be a leader in any respect. I think that's a really key part of the piece of advice. Sorry. That was uh, really, really fascinating. So, Jack, um, thank you very much for for sitting down with us for the first instalment of Inside Trading. Thank you. So there we go. That concludes the first episode of the Inside Training podcast. We hope we gave you an insight into Hibernian Football Club, Jack Ross, how he works, but also some management and personal thoughts to take away with you that you might be able to implement into your own life. Thank you for listening and we'll bring you a next one in a month's time. Podcast Network.